0: I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is You Can't Make This Up. You Can't Make This Up is the podcast where we uncover the true stories behind your favorite Netflix documentaries and films. On today's episode, we take a closer look at the Netflix documentary podcast, The Last Movie Ever Made. A behind-the-scenes look at the making of the Netflix film, Don't Look Up.
1: And if there's a movie to kind of jump in and give it a go, it's it's this movie and see if we can do it. And that was it. We came back, man.
0: Today we're talking to the movie's co-producer and podcast contributor, Stacey Roberts-Steele. Director Adam McKay's movie, Don't Look Up, is an allegory about climate change in which astronomers played by Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence try to raise the alarm about an asteroid hurtling toward Earth. But production of this comedy about a fictional global emergency was upended by a real-life global emergency. The podcast, The Last Movie Ever Made, takes us inside the bubble as filmmakers invent a new way of shooting a motion picture in a pandemic. After my interview, you'll hear a full episode of The Last Movie Ever Made. Much of the audio in the podcast is recorded guerrilla-style on iPhones by the crew, with commentary by the film's many stars on how life has imitated art.
2: Yeah, I'm just saying, are you psychic? Because
3: all of these things would happen that made what I thought was satire become make make it feel like a documentary.
0: And I'm joined by Stacy roberts Steele. Stacy, welcome to You Can't Make This Up. Hello, thank you for having me. You are listed as co-producer on Don't Look Up, but we hear on the podcast that you are called the Swiss Army Knife. Why do they call you that? <laughs> um, I think Adam
4: came up with that term because I wore a lot of hats uh, on this movie, um, which. Uh, was tenfold with COVID being a part of it. Uh, Basically, COVID happened and a lot more jobs came my way that probably normally wouldn't have. Oh.
0: (laughs) So you could, like, open the wine bottle and, like, open the envelope and, like, cut the rope. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So Don't Look Up is about a global catastrophe, and you filmed it during a global pandemic So where did the idea come from to record the the behind-the-scenes happenings during all of this process?
4: So that was um, one of the other producers on the podcast, Daniel Waxman, um, and Adam first initially talked about the idea of just doing some sort of podcast about making the movie. And then when COVID hit, it became clear that we were, you know, it was like, okay, we've got a plan here. This is the one way we can probably even get any sort of documentary style thing into the movie because we wouldn't be able to get a camera crew. Um, and so basically that summer in 2020, right before we started filming, is when the idea came up. Um, and we just didn't really know what it was going to be. We just decided, Danielle and I were like, we'll just start interviewing people um, and see what happens. And the rest is history.
0: <laughs> well, I know that movies and TV shows often have still photographers behind mm-hmm. the scenes. Um have you ever heard of a a podcast being recorded sort of gathering audio footage behind the scenes before? No, I mean,
4: I'm sure I guess I'm sure it's been done, but I don't think I mean, it's not the norm. I mean, I think if, if COVID hadn't have happened, we probably would have had some sort of featurette type thing, like a behind the scenes that came in and, was, you know, um, in the olden days was part of the DVD extras. <laughs> yeah. um, but this was a really fun way to do it because. You know, we just had so much access being that it was audio only Um, and also being that with COVID and everyone being locked in their hotel rooms and their apartments um, wanted something to do on the weekends. And so a lot of it was just a you're stuck in your apartment all weekend. Do you want to talk to us for 30 minutes? So it was a really fun way to get people's perspective on this weird way of making a movie.
0: Were there ground rules about what you could record and what you couldn't record?
4: Yes. Um, We couldn't record any actual filming uh, of, you know, of of the actors. Um, But, you know, we were able to record Adam in between takes. Um, We were able to record. um, Basically, we could pick up an interview anywhere we could. So some of them were done over Zoom, but a lot of them were done um, on my phone with Danielle and I just kind of. You know, walking up to people and saying, hey, do you have five minutes in between this take while they're setting the lights to talk about um, your experience, you know, working on this movie during COVID or your experience with, you know, being away from your family or any of those sort of things. Um, So it was definitely a um, fly by the seat of our pants way of doing it
0: that must have been tricky i mean we hear in the podcast your social distancing on set you must have developed a very long arm i know <laughs> how that works right yeah
4: yeah no i mean part of it we had a uh we had a hookup to my cell phone that had really long cables um yeah i do remember one of the very first things was harry from hyperobject here at our podcast he uh he shipped out all these super long cables um and that was the way that we were able to record people from a distance um But it's extra difficult being six feet apart from people when you're both wearing masks and you're both wearing face shields. You can't, you know, hear each other. And then so it was it was definitely a lot more difficult than we thought it was going to be.
0: So in the podcast, we hear from Meryl Streep, Jennifer Lawrence, Leonardo DiCaprio, Mm -hmm. Ariana Grande and a lot of other people. Um, Did you conduct any of the interviews with any of those movie stars yourself?
4: Yes. Uh, most of them, actually. Tell yeah. me about that.
0: Um, well, Jen Lawrence was the
4: first uh, first one to kind of agree to talk to us of the cast. Um, and and she was great because she kind of kicked off, you know, getting other people to do it, I think, it was very helpful. Um, but majority of the the cast was done over Zoom just because on set, you know, they were filming and didn't have time between takes. Um But it was, you know, I don't know. It was really great. I think that we struck this moment um, while we were making the movie where we had all just come out of, you know, everyone in the world had just come out of being, you know, stuck in their homes or stuck in, you know, not able to do things that we would normally do. So when we all got to set, everyone was very much a team player. I mean, just in terms of the COVID of it all and following the rules, but also we were just like, in it together. And so, hmm. I don't know. It was one of those things where like talking to the cast, I think we all had a sort of a common ground of like, we've, our, our, we've all been through this. We're all in this really weird situation of making a movie that none of us have ever done before. Um, so we were all just this big team.
0: It was great. So in the podcast too, we also hear about how real world events are sort of paralleling what's happening in the film. And I'll tell mm-hmm. you, I loved the film. I watched it and I had the same feeling that I think it was Rob Morgan we hear in the podcast saying that he thought that Adam McKay might be psychic. He's mm. hearing like things are happening and he's like, what does he know that we don't know? Because all these <laughs> things are in the script that are actually happening in the real world. And it was surprising for me to hear that a lot of events, events in the real world were happening at the same time you were filming things Yes. In the script that like were the same. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, the the
4: biggest one was the the riot um, that we filmed two days after uh, January 6th, so after the insurrection at the Capitol. Um, And what was strange about that is the actual day of of the insurrection, um, we were doing riot scenes that were just getting ready to break out. So it was almost like we were filming these scenes while there's a riot going on at the Capitol, knowing that, like, OK, then we're going to do that tomorrow. We're going to do that the next day. Um, and it was, you know, I, I think at first before we knew how bad it had gotten um, at the Capitol, it was sort of like, oh, this is funny. Like, this is so strange that things are parallel. And then then it actually started to affect the movie and affect people where, you know, we went to set up the riot the day of and Jeff Waxman um who's a, the one of the EPs on the film, you know, he had to reach out to, like, authorities to let them know, hey, we're shooting a riot today. Like, make sure people aren't nearby. And luckily, because of COVID, there weren't a lot of people on the streets, so it was like we were able to separate ourselves. But, you know, we had one night, I remember, where there was a protest. We were filming the riot, uh, the portion of um, Tyler Perry and Kate C- C- Blanchett at the end uh, when they're in the bar drinking together. And there was a protest that just started coming down the street. And um, we didn't know which side it was. We didn't know if they were violent. We didn't know, you know, it was one of those things we just had to shut down filming. And we all sort of hid for a little bit until it passed by. Um, And luckily, it was very much just like a peaceful protest. But things like that, that I think it just made it so much more heightened while we were filming.
0: I'm curious at what point, I mean, I know the film is a lot about, you know, climate change and climate change, denial and just like pretending things aren't bad, aren't mm-hmm. happening. But was there a point during filming where you realized that these exact themes were playing out in terms of the pandemic itself, the sort of denial of the virus, the denial of the danger? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think almost
4: every day <laughs> because, you know, it probably wasn't healthy to have it set up this way, but a lot of... um. When, you know, we'd be on set when we'd go back to, like, our trailers or any of the, like, areas where we could just, like, kind of get some work done in between shots, we always had CNN on. And I remember at the time thinking, like, this is really difficult because we're living this pretend world where no one believes science and, you know, no one has a plan that's, you know, legit. And then uh, then trying to go and take a break and then just living through that more. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to think of specifics, but overall, I just remember feeling like it started to be unclear when it was actually making the movie and when we were just living the movie. (laughs) Yeah.
0: You mentioned Kate Blanchett. I mean, I'll tell you, she's one of my favorite actresses. And for the first five minutes I saw her on screen, I did not actually recognize her. Oh, yeah. She makes a complete transformation in this film. And I actually think that's true with almost every actor. I mean, Meryl Streep is Meryl Streep as the president mm-hmm. of the United States. But I can't remember ever seeing Leonardo DiCaprio playing such an unglamorous, completely uncool role as he mm-hmm. does in this film. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence certainly plays this extremely uh, nerdy scientist grad student, the opposite of like the glamorous Jennifer Lawrence, we know. Have you uh, had the experience before of watching so many actors completely transform themselves and play so opposite type all at the same time? No. (laughs) I mean, I I think
4: um, I mean, that's what was so fun about this is that, you know, as soon as you'd get ready to seeing one of the actors in this different look, another one of them would show up. You know, it was like it seemed like every week or two it was like, oh, OK, here's Leo. Here's Jen. here, You know, here comes Rob Morgan. Here comes Meryl Streep. Um, so, no, it was it was very um, it was very exciting. Yeah, because whenever you got used to it, it was just like a new big actor showed up. Um, and I think also one of my favorite things uh, in terms of looks is uh, Meryl Streep and Mark Rylance. Uh, they had decided for their looks that they went to the same plastic surgeon, their their characters (laughs) did. And so they made sure with like the hair and makeup people that, you know, they had a little bit of tape to kind of give them a nice like lift and they made sure to shape it the exact same way. So it looked like the same plastic surgeon (laughs) did their makeup, um, which I just love because I, I, that's what I stared at every day. I'd be like, wow, they really did a good job with that.
0: I loved what you have in your interview with Meryl Streeper talking about her transformation and how she took all the inspiration from the barrel curls. Yes. I'm like, that is very specific. And I know exactly what she's talking about. And the fact that that's where she started just gives you a lot of insight. I I think
4: that the barrel curls really like took her character on a ride for many in many ways.
0: So you recorded all this tape and you gave it to the team at the podcast production mm-hmm. house. What do you think about what all they did with it? Uh, you know, I remember when Danielle and I were
4: in the middle of it, like halfway through filming, because we were there the entire five month shoot. And I remember halfway through thinking like, oh, my gosh, these poor people have to listen to hours and hours. <laughs> so just, You know, because we were encouraged to every single day um, to, you know, as soon as we got to set. Start recording, talking about what what the set was, talking about what we are filming that day. You know, so there's a lot of tape that got lost by the wayside. But we actually, um, between Pineapple Street and Hyper Object, uh, we all, we had, we met twice a week. The whole time we were filming and then even for up until now, we're still doing it as we're getting the last few episodes out. Just to kind of shape everything. And it was really cool having, I think, the perspective of people that were on set of like, these are the things that were really important that was going on. But then having this perspective of people that weren't in our bubble that would listen to things and say, oh, no, that's really weird and interesting. And, you know, when you're on set, you're like, no, 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 that's just how it is. We've been living this life, you know. So it was it was really cool. And they I mean, they did an amazing job. I like I can't believe I don't know how many hours of footage we had, but the fact that we got it into six episodes and they weren't two hours long a piece is great. <laughs>
0: So the production created a bubble in which to live and work and um, figuring it was the only way to safely produce the film. So what is it like working behind the scenes on a film today? It's interesting because I think back
4: then, I mean, if, you know, we started filming in November of 2020, there was no vaccine. If you remember, we were going into that crazy winter surge where every major, I mean, everywhere was just, you know, seeing more and more cases. And so it was incredibly scary. Just because you didn't feel like you had much protection. But at the same time, you know, now we've gotten, now we have a vaccine. We also have learned so much more about, you know, the time it takes, you know, of how long you're with. So I think, you know, when we first got to set, I remember thinking, okay, if someone has COVID and they walk by you, you're going to get it, you know? And it was like learning that there's, you know, it's more about being in the same room and outdoors is better than indoors and all those things. But I think it's still, I mean, filming today, it still is, it's still scary. You still long for the old times of just being able to in between takes have fun opposed to in between takes being like, okay, I'm going to go take a mass break and get some water.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we are about to hear the latest episode of The Last Movie Ever Made. It features Ariana Grande. Can you give us a tease of what we're about to hear? Yeah, it's one of my favorite episodes. I think uh, you're going to get a little bit of
4: learning about the writing of the song, Just Look Up with Nick Bertel, Tor Stenson, the lovely Kid Cudi and Ariana Grande uh, all talking about the writing of the song. But then you're also going to get a little bit of a mix of what was going on in the world every day that we were filming that was uh, making our lives more difficult than it already was.
0: <laughs> well, Stacey Roberts-Steele, thank you so much for joining me and You Can't Make This Up. It was great talking with you. Thanks so much. And now here's the last movie ever made.
5: In October 2020, before starting production on Don't Look Up, Adam McKay gave an important assignment to two collaborators. They would not be joining him in Boston, but their contribution to this movie could not be overstated.
1: My marching orders to Britell and to Toro were, you know, write the greatest anthem that can ever be written to save mankind. And it's, it's, that's all.
5: Adam wanted a song that could save humanity from itself. It also needed to be funny and to sound like a real pop ballad you'd hear on the radio. Naturally, his first call was to the guy he trusted to score his last two movies and was already writing the music for Don't Look Up, Oscar-nominated composer Nicholas Bertel.
2: Adam and I had talked about, you know, it'd be amazing to get a truly pro (laughs) lyricist to come and turn this into what it needed to be. And so, you know, when, when we were talking about it, I just said, you know what? I think I know exactly the person we should uh, we should reach out to.
5: Tara Stinson. Tara's written lyrics for Destiny Child and Usher. And she received her own Oscar nomination for a song she co wrote with Mary J. Blige and Raphael Sadiq for the movie Mudbound.
6: And he told me, he's like, Ariana Grande and Kid Cudi, possibly. I'm like, what?
5: Yes. Nick and Tara's anthem will be performed by Ariana Grande and Kid Cudi who play a pop star and a rapper, respectively, in Don't Look Up. Their characters, Riley Bina and DJ Chello, have an on-again, off-again relationship that consumes the attention of seemingly everyone in the movie.
1: When you see stories about, you know, Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez or who's dating who or who's breaking up, there's no way I don't read that headline. I mean, that stuff is just irresistible. It's kind of this grand soap opera that we all live in the middle of, and that's what Riley Bina and DJ Cello are.
5: Adam's idea is that Bina and Cello go from objects of fascination to comment activists. They use the power of pop culture to get people to take the comet seriously. It's both a mocking of our celebrity obsessions and an effort to use that obsession, however fruitlessly, to save the world. Their superpower is the song. So Tara Stinson and Nick Bertel have their work cut out for them. They have to write a pop ballad that'll serve as the crescendo of the grand soap opera in the middle of this comedic disaster film.
6: There was this love song, you know, the love song element that we had to honor and then has to go into like this cautionary tale. And it has to be, you know, in my opinion, it needed to be funny, too, in order to balance it all.
2: There are tragic elements, there's funny elements, there's a lot of very complex tonal sort of mixture in the film, but ultimately, for any of these moments, we're taking them seriously. Like, this is a, you know,
5: this, is a, this isn't this is a joke
2: song, this is a song.
5: And this is an episode about how during the production of Don't Look Up, the emotions in that song took on a life of their own, when a personal tragedy, and a national one, threw everything into chaos.
7: It was just such an, a crazy thing. I left my phone for a few hours and I look back and the country is fallen apart again.
5: This is the last movie ever made. Episode 4. A song is born. the fall of 2020, Tar Stinson and Nick Bertel are beginning to compose. As Tar gets to work, she starts to feel a sense of deja vu.
6: I have like loose ties to Ariana Grande in a different way because I sang background on Bang Bang. Ooh, yes. I love that song. <laughs> <laughs> Various Ariana songs, like Side to Side, like a lot of her big hits.
5: This is why Tara's voice may sound familiar. In her previous life, she also sang on Paris Hilton's one and only album with a legitimate banger, Stars Are Blind. And she worked as Paris Hilton's personal assistant, a job previously held by Kim Kardashian. Glitzy, yes. However, it's through Tara's Oscar-nominated work and the champagne-filled parties in that orbit that she came to know her new collaborator, Nick.
6: We became very friendly, like we... Talked outcasts and Nas and all of the greats. We love music, and so that's pretty much what we talk about. We can talk about it all day.
2: I was in a hip-hop band in college, and I'm a huge fan of hip-hop. And Tara had been working in R&B and hip-hop for years and years. And I remember her making some incredible recommendations to me about music to listen to.
5: We've been friends ever since. When they got started on their anthem, Nick first took a stab at a melody. Like the song's title, Just Look Up. Nick wanted the music to climb.
2: It actually reaches up. It's a fourth and then another fourth. And so it's this kind of Just Look Up going up. And I sometimes think there's this, there's a subconscious shape to things that, that affects all of us. In music in particular, I, I've always felt that the shapes matter of melodies.
5: Her begins to compose lyrics. If you, too, want to write a hit song that could potentially save the world, she has some songwriting tips.
6: Dear writers, do yourself a favor. (laughs) Make word soup. (laughs) It's so cool. It's just like a creative process that kind of guides me. I'll just list words like, rapid fire typing on my desktop or on, in a notepad or a gum wrapper so that when I'm ready to sit down and write the song, then I have like words and phrases, particularly for Just Look Up. It was like doom, peril, wormwood, uh, stars, moon, love, the last moment, love me to the last drop, you know, things like that. Like how would the character feel singing on stage with a meteor <laughs> overhead that's potentially going to kill off humanity. So that last moment of
2: love. Could we have a song that starts where it feels like a love song, and then as the song evolves at a certain point, you realize that it's actually really about the end of the world. And it's 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 actually like, it's it's almost like a manifesto about how do we stop this? Or, 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 you know, have we already lost? Which sounds, you know, in theory, sounds like a tricky song to write.
6: <laughs> you know, I can't really visualize a comet hitting Earth, but you know, this we, in a different way, we've had that, and so I used COVID as an analogy for that. Twenty twenty was kind of like a
5: co-star in the song for me. Perhaps you have your own words for twenty twenty. Perhaps they have something in common with Tara's, who was surprised that they got the okay.
6: We can say shitbox news, like that's okay, and I can curse and everything.
0: Ferrari, Grande.
2: <laughs> it was like the perfect scenario for me. Tara really helped show Adam and me that we were on the right path once he heard Tara's lyrical demo. Because also to 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 give Tara huge respect for this. She recorded a demo of her, you know, putting this together that was amazing. And it, it helped give Adam a sense of, oh, wow, this song can really work.
6: And he's like, uh, Tara, Adam doesn't have any notes. And I'm like, what? <laughs> he's like, I've worked with him a lot and he doesn't have any notes. And that made me feel so good.
5: So with a thumbs up from Adam, Nick's next job is to take the song to Ariana and Kid Cudi. He drives out to meet Ariana at a recording studio in the San Fernando Valley.
2: There was a grand piano there and I was like, "Do you, you know, should I just like kind of play the chords, just play the idea before we actually go in and try things out? So I just played the track and I remember it was amazing because she, she was just kind of like, oh, okay, cool. You know, I have some ideas, maybe I'll just go... Some stuff out. And I was like, oh, you know, let's, sure, let's just try some things out. She gets in the booth and we start playing against the, the, the reference track i brought of it.
7: I had a session with Nick. He brought in the instrumental and it was really beautiful. And the chords, the piano chords and the beat that was there. And um, so I basically just went in the booth and I did a melody
2: pass. And within like 30 seconds to my ears, she was laying down a finished pass of the whole song <laughs> and it was like i was honestly I was I was so I remember just sitting there and looking around the room and just being like I've never seen anything like that before.
7: That ended up being the pass that they used for the melody of the song like the first take was just what ended up being the song which was super super cool I thought he was going to like chop it up and move things around and, and change things but he just kept the melody exactly how it was in the first take and I was like oh wow that is
0: flattering.
5: Pop singers rarely falsetto that their fans are all going to die. However, when there's a giant comet in the sky, artists deserve to be blunt. Next, it was time to focus on Kid Cudi's rap. Initially, it wasn't clear if Cudi would write his own.
6: I thought I was going to have this opportunity to write Kid Cudi's rap, which is so funny, because he's a genius and I'm a big fan, and why would I be writing his rap? But I wrote one, and you know, you gotta try. And I, it was something like, uh, Riley, come let me hold you kn- close. Wait, Riley, come let me hold you close. Forever's now, back to dust. Now that I got your attention, focus on me. The world's really into the date. The could be better of dog, gonna be paying for the stupid ass mistakes. Hear me out. Fame is a drug that I know about. The dizzy and the spent straight chasing cloud, but motherfucking game is over now.
5: Bars. <laughs> Ultimately, Kit Cuddy
2: wrote his own. First time, it just kind of played him, the track played him where we were with it. Kind of, this is a zone of what needs to happen story-wise. You know, it was a question that really required his insight on of how to make this all connect. Because actually that moment with DJ Cello is sort of the the crux of the entire shift of the song. Until we figured that out, it was sort of like, how do we get to this, you know, we're all going to fucking die, everybody.
1: (laughs) When uh, Nick Patel first played me the song, I was blown away. Ariana's voice is, is so beautiful and and so soft and sweet, but powerful. And I was just like, where do I fit, you know? Um, and we were able to like figure it out. I went in there and, and kind of uh, wrote my own thing. I think that that worked best to kind of give it that that flavor, you know, that cutty flavor.
2: He really was thinking about the character, which obviously I think was the key to the whole thing. He was thinking of what would DJ Chella do at that moment? How would that happen? But also, there was an idea of even though it's a character in the movie, the song has to still be great. It has to be on Scott's artistic level. And I'm sorry, my love. wonderful thing about this was that it was such a true collaboration in every sense of the word everybody weighed in and was able to you know we really worked together on this even though it was during the pandemic and even though a lot of this was remote
6: and then next thing i know ariana singer part and the next thing i know kate cuddy was there and i'm like oh my god we're done there it is there it goes
7: just look at.
5: By late winter, the anthem is complete. Now to get it on its feet. Back to Boston. It's the first week of January 2021. The taping of the concert is next week. For that concert, Ariana's character Riley Bina needs a show-stopping, earth-saving outfit. Enter costume designer Susan Matheson.
3: My background was in performance and theater, and then... I transitioned into music videos and opera and live performance. And so I really wanted to do something that was a spectacle. And so when I was meeting with Adam, I was like, let's do something wild, you know, <laughs> let's do something where she takes up the stage or where she's very, very long and her dress is very, very tall or it's very, very wide.
5: Susan hunted for inspiration, for a look that was entirely new. She found it in an online presentation of a Valentino Haute Couture collection called Of Grace and Light. Due to the pandemic, there were no spectators, and there was no walking. There were simply 15 acrobats in a black void, suspended in the air, some on swings, some just floating. Each model wore a gigantic dress— with tremendously long skirts, and each dress was shockingly bright white. The reason they did this is that they did not have access
3: to the dye houses and the embellishers and the embroiderers that they would normally have access to. So they thought, why not do everything in white, and we can project images with colors onto the clothing and create what we want to create.
5: There was one dress in particular that caught Susan's attention.
3: It's really not a gown. It's it's more like a sculpture. So I should say this one sculpture that is like an orb of feathers with a long gown protruding from the bottom. So Adam loved this one gown, and I loved this one gown. Then we had to convince
5: Valentino to allow us to use it. Luckily, Pierpaolo Piccioli, the creative director of Valentino, is a fan of Ariana. More importantly,
3: his daughter is also a big fan of Ariana Grande. So that helped a lot.
5: Now to literally get Ariana into the dress. Oh, pardon me. Sculpture.
7: The top was this, like, cage of feathers that was super beautiful and crazy and I felt like I was a walking piece of art that you'd see at the MoMA or something.
5: Picture a dandelion on a stem. The fluff covers Ariana's body from her head to her hips. It's made of white feathers attached delicately to a wire bodice. As Ariana is only five feet tall, the skirt is nearly three times the length of Ariana's entire body.
3: You know, it's funny because Linus, the cinematographer, said, you know, it looks like a cross between a manta ray and an angel. So we'll see what we can achieve. Does it look like a manta ray? Does it look like an angel? Or does it look like neither?
5: (laughs) Angel is more accurate. The dress is so long that Ariana must descend from the sky. This dramatic entrance makes her featherball dress resemble a comet. In this way, Susan has not simply picked a beautiful gown. It's also a thematic one. And it forces people to perform the message of the song. Just look up and face the unexpected. And in early January 2021, this emotion is wearing on Susan personally. It has been four months since Susan was sideswiped by her own unexpected news. It hit the first Saturday of November 2020, while most of the country's attention was on the announcement of a new president. Here, Susan talks about it with co-producer and friend, Stacey Roberts-Steele.
4: I remember the day after Biden won, you called me and we were talking about work stuff, and then I was in a bit of a mood and got a little snippy and we kind of had a little banter and Hung up, whatever. And then I called you a few hours later and I was like, look, I'm sorry, I was kind of bitchy earlier, basically, but just letting you know that my my dad died. And then you told me something that also happened to you that weekend.
3: It actually I'm tearing up already just thinking about it. Um, because I said to you, it's all coming back to me, Stacey. I said to you, I'm sorry that I was difficult and very very intense because I had just found out that I had breast cancer. Hang on, I I, I think it's not helpful that I'm crying right now.
4: No 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 it's okay it's okay and you can take your time take your time.
3: Because I'm just really remembering that moment when we spoke, you know it was very intense. I vividly remember I got the information about five minutes before walking into a fitting with DiCaprio. And I got the information by accident because there was an email that I thought was just letting me know that I was going to be getting results in a month. But the results came in a month early. And the email said something about the patient's known breast cancer. And I said, no one, breast cancer, this is unknown. And I walked into my fitting with DiCaprio, knowing that I had breast cancer, but I didn't know at that point if it had spread throughout my body, if it was localized, I didn't know anything. And the old paradigm used to be that you needed to go into a dark room, be depressed and wallow in your cancer. And I spoke to the doctors and they said, you know what, it's better to keep working because then you're not going to be obsessing about cancer and mortality. And you've got something else to think about. And so I kept working. I actually had surgery December 14th. I came back in a week. I actually had drains and all this kind of stuff hanging out of me. And it was crazy because I had to have a lymph node removed. I had a lumpectomy. I, you know, I never thought I'd talk about this in a podcast. I I actually was at first didn't want anyone to know. And so cut to, I've been going through the whole time you've been talking to me, breast cancer treatment, but I've actually been having a really, really good time on this movie. And you can even have a good laugh about the cancer. When I was saying to people about the cancer, I was like, cancer never bothered to call me, check my schedule and say, is this a good time for cancer? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, why did cancer not call and look at the schedule and say, you know what, I've got a fitting today with Leonardo DiCaprio and this is not a good time. Like, <laughs> we're just going to schedule ourselves at the time when you're the most busy in your life. And, you know, I've been going through radiation right now. I'm kind of burnt to a crisp. <laughs> and every time I roll over <laughs> at night, I wake up. But I'm still trying to have a sense of humor about it. And I've gotten to know everyone in the radiation department because you have to go every day, five days a week for six weeks in my case. And it's kind of been amazing. I've gotten to know these incredible people. Everybody else except for me in radiation goes in and puts on a hospital gown. But I refuse. Yeah. What do you so do? I go in and I realize that the amount of time it takes me to whip off my shirt and get on the radiation machine is identical to taking off a hospital gown. So I said to them, hey, if I can take off my shirt in the same amount of time as whipping off a hospital gown, do you mind if I come in in regular clothes? And they said, no. Because I thought, I don't want to feel sick. I don't want to look sick. I don't want to feel sick. And there's something about a hospital gown that just kind of reinforces this idea
4: that you're sick. So, Susan, you basically dress yourself for your radiation that's right
5: <laughs> <laughs> you i make your sure.
4: <laughs> yes I, i'm costumed perfectly
3: has the coming end of the world got you down unable to focus sleep or make simple decisions like what to have for dinner well bojo mambos can't stop your racing thoughts but we can help you feed yourself while you have them With our new home meal kits, you can whip up some of Bojo Mambo's signature dishes like Yolo Nolo shrimp scampi right in your own kitchen. And if you sign up today, you'll get the recipe to our highly addictive secret sauce. Seriously, the world is ending. Bojo has no more secrets. So get the Bojo Mambo's home meal kit today while supplies last or before the comet hits, whichever comes first. Irresponsibly, we're all in this together.
8: Now, seven weather with Chief Meteorologist Jeremy Ren. Well, the weather story is a simple one: high pressure is nearby for the next several days. No Arctic air and no storms to worry about. Temps out there.
5: In the it's set. the morning of January sixth, twenty twenty-one, and so far, it's just an ordinary day on the set. With a concert a mere six days away, Susan has the day blocked off for a fitting with Ariana. Almost everyone else is focused on filming a scene in a fake restaurant in Boston. Everyone that is but one person, who on the morning of January 6th has been deployed 439 miles away.
8: My name is Jonathan Zurer. Uh, I'm a local producer here in Washington, D.C., and I will be helping to coordinate the B-roll and establishing shots in Washington for the film.
5: Weeks ago, Adam had the idea to hire Jonathan to shoot cell phone footage of the Stop the Steal rally. Adam, of course, had no idea what was going to happen that day, but he and his editor, Hank Corwin, liked to insert found footage into their movies. They did it with Vice and with The Big Short. In that way, American culture gets to rear its head as a character in his fictional worlds. Perhaps Don't Look Up's fake protests could be punched up with video of the real thing. Given that a right-wing website once wrote this in their review of Vice, quote, those on the right elected Trump more to fight those like McKay than to fight those like Nancy Pelosi, Jonathan has decided to take a few precautions.
8: I did dress intentionally to blend in or what I thought might blend in. Honestly, you couldn't ID who I was, which I thought was probably for the best. I left my wallet at home. I brought $20 in cash and had no ID on me at all. I had on a balaclava, a black balaclava, which covered my head and my face, except for my eyes. And it also meant I could wear a surgical mask underneath the balaclava, so that no one would know that I was wearing a mask. No camera crew, no sound people, just me and a cell phone. It was not unlike any other rally I've ever been to. The people were, they're angry. They were shouting, they were saying rude things, they were using bad language. They were playing music. There was a lot of village people music being played. I heard at least two village people songs. It was actually kind of boring. So I left and I went and sat down on 14th Street. I texted my wife, said, hey, I'm okay." I told her if she didn't hear from me by 4 p.m. to call the cops. So this was at noon. As I'm sitting there, I see people start to walk east down on Constitution Avenue just a half a block down from me. And I realize that something has happened. I don't know what, but something has triggered people to start heading
5: towards the Capitol. Are
0: you guys walking the two miles down? Or are you...
5: So Jonathan joins the crowd heading towards the Capitol. However, as the crowd swells, he begins to feel unnerved. And as more people kept coming
8: and more people kept coming, people got more aggressive and more emboldened. There were a few people who started saying, Come on, second wave, second wave, like it was a military operation.
4: Let's go, Patriots! Let's go! Patriots!
8: All of a sudden you could start to hear and see um uh, smoke bombs, uh, fireworks. I don't know. I don't but there were loud bangs, not gunfire, loud bangs and pops, and you could see smoke rising in front of the Capitol. Make sure it gets on Twitter and Facebook. or Fake book. There we go, baby. That's the truth. And at a certain point, people started singing. They were singing the National Anthem in unison. It wasn't at that point obvious that people were breaking into the camp. But as I was walking away, I would pass the checkpoints with the Capitol Police and the radio chatter was getting more and more frantic.
5: Things are getting ugly. Minutes later. Chaos at the Capitol. A mob
0: supporting and encouraged by President Trump stormed the U.S. Capitol, breaking windows, pushing through police with shots fired inside as lawmakers were gathered to count the votes, confirming President-elect Biden won the election.
5: The D.C. News slowly reaches the set of Don't Look Up in Boston. They're in the middle of shooting a scene at Bojo Mambo's, the fictional restaurant where Jennifer Lawrence, Rob Morgan, and Leonardo DiCaprio's characters pretend to eat shrimp and debate what to do about the common. Adam directs the other patrons to overhear the scientists and beg for the truth. Jennifer's character will spill it all, and this will start its own riot. Let's get that one more time.
1: Off of Leo's line and action.
5: As people take breaks from shooting... They start to find out what's happening at the nation's capital.
1: It is Wednesday, January 6th. I'm in the basement of Bojo Mambas, watching Washington, D.C. on my phone. Um, what's going on there? Which is really
2: nuts.
9: Heard the chatters um, on, on set. Me and my like, two other people were really kind of like, are you seeing this?
5: Two becomes three, becomes 12, becomes the entire set, including Jennifer Lawrence. They're all now staring um, at their phones.
4: I mean, it just felt it just felt surreal that we were reading about this, you know, while shooting these kind of riot scenes. And I remember Rob and Leo and me just kind of, you know, getting the news in on our phones and reading it out loud. And It's just kind of one of those unbelievable things to say out loud. Americans are breaking into the Capitol.
5: And somehow Jennifer Lawrence is supposed to get back to work to film a scene where her character starts screaming that there's a planet-killing comet headed towards Earth and that the president will not save them.
2: Well, I have news for you. It's already a complete disaster. They're talking about letting a comet the size of a mountain hit the planet to jack up a cell phone company's...
4: Channeling was certainly very easy, you know, this upsetting, maddening, horrifying, terrible, just disgrace to... The United States was infuriating, so I had to get angry at one point, and that seemed pretty easy.
5: As she uses her real anger to fuel her characters, elsewhere, other members of the cast and crew have their own reactions to the Capitol attack, starting with special effects coordinator Corey Kindrelly.
9: I come from uh, Staten Island, and that is a very, very surprisingly red borough. I had a lot of friends and family that actually were down in D.C., For that day, and I was just kind of like, oh, you maniacs. Then all of a sudden when it went down, it was kind of like, well, what's happening? Because all the stuff that I saw from my friends and stuff like that on like Instagram and stuff, they were they were protesting, they were, you know, doing their thing, but it didn't give off any of a vibe of my friends and family like on Instagram that something was gonna be what it was. I mean, everybody was shocked because that's something that's never happened in our time. I mean, the last time that ever happened was 1812.
5: It was disturbing. Tyler Perry is also shaken.
2: It was really, really sad to see those hollowed-out halls with Confederate flags walking through them. A house that slaves actually built. Slaves built. And I'm seeing this happen all of these hundreds of years later.
5: The news is slower to reach the costume department, where Susan Matheson and Ariana Grande are continuing to figure out how to get her in that overwhelming white dress.
3: I was busy placing a feather piece on Ariana Grande and Ariana calls her mother and her mother is on FaceTime with her and we were in such a bubble because we'd been working all day long on this costume and we'd been in this fitting with Ariana for hours that it was Ariana's mother who explained to us what was going on in Washington DC. And we couldn't really wrap our heads around it because it was such a surreal juxtaposition of this beautiful, angelic costume. And then these images of these men, it was like,
7: what's going on? I was in the middle of this fitting, of this like four hour fitting, because we were, um, practicing the harness and hiding all of the rigging for the for the performance and trying to make the dress work and I just remember picking my phone up for the first time in a few hours and having like a thousand texts and looking at my friend's group chat and seeing texts from my mom and just this utter state of panic and shock and like kind of heartbreak and it was just such an, a crazy thing I left my phone for a few hours and I look back and the country is fallen apart again
5: it was as if everyone on the Don't Look Up set was obeying the words of the movie's anthem, Just Look Up. In their separate apartments, Adam McKay and lyricist Tarstinson are alone with their thoughts. And the news.
1: Uh, I am here listening to news coverage of uh, right-wing extremists attacking the Capitol building today, breaking in. Seems like a woman was shot and killed. A bunch of these uh, right-wing extremists were stealing stuff out of the Capitol, sitting in the chambers, mocking it.
6: Shit has hit the fan. So they're right now waiting for Donald Trump to come out and make a strong statement. But he already did. He made a strong statement when he came out, and whatever he said, because I won't even give him the time of day anymore, um, incited this riot.
1: It's a a raw, kind of anarchic madness, anger. I mean, we can feel it for years and years, this country just spiraling out of control.
6: The biggest thing as a black woman is, is I can remember this past summer and watching the news footage and there being a very different outcome. People were getting hit over the head there was tear gas It was all kinds of stuff happening because black men and women had already been killed sleeping in their beds buying shit from the store it's just reinforced to us over and over and over and over and over again that we do not matter
1: we don't know where this is going it could escalate it could spread to other cities <laughs> i'm watching Crowds right now waving around flags, Confederate flags. Why
6: aren't we seeing more arrests? Right! Why aren't we seeing more arrests? Look at this. To look to this! Look at this shit! Look at this! There's people hanging off of like banisters. This, d- it would have been a room be full of black, it would have been like bloody freaking, what do you know what today is? Bloody Wednesday. That would have been the headlines if it were black people because everybody would have been killed. in relation to our film, you don't even have to look
8: up anymore.
5: It's all around
8: you. Wow. That's all I have to
5: say. You don't have to look up anymore. As in, the comet's already hit, and it must be faced. Next week on The Last Movie Ever Made, the aftermath of the insurrection complicates the film's own riot scenes.
8: I was just on the phone with the film commissioner And we're shooting a riot after, you know, the Capitol got, um, had a riot yesterday. So I'm a little anxious people are going to come by and join in and think it's a real riot.
5: And the pressure is on to stage a concert to save the world.
9: It was one of the most stressful days of my life on that job. I swear to God, we've blown up houses, flipped cars, shot people, and I've never been so stressed over a damn dress in my life. And I kept saying to special effects,
3: we need more wind more wind and I think that drove them a little bit mad
5: The Last Movie Ever Made is a production of Netflix Film, Hyperobject Industries, and Pineapple Street Studios. It's produced by Emmanuel Hapsis, Gabrielle Lewis, Stacey Robert-Steele, Daniel Waxman, Sophie Bridges, and Alexis Moore. Our editor is Darby Maloney. The show's narrated by Emmanuel Hapsis. Our theme song is by Nicholas Bertel. Mixing, sound design, and original music by Hannes Brown with additional music from Epidemic Sound. The show is written by R. Roosevelt. Fact-checking by Charlotte Gadu. Executive producers at Hyper Object Industries are Adam McKay, Harry Nelson, and Claire Slaughter. Executive producers at Pineapple Street Studios are Barry Finkel, Jenna berman and Max Linsky. Don't Look Up is streaming now on Netflix. Follow at Netflix Film on Instagram and Twitter.